We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Maylene from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, Paul and Tim, we're chewing the fat over the Arsenal victory against Stoke City, the Emirates. Always good to win. and Always good to win against uh, Charlie Adams Stoke, especially after going a goal down to a dubious penalty, which I can't make my mind up over still. Still can't decide, so I'm enjoying these wins, and I'm getting kind of used to this now, and I wouldn't mind this going on for the rest of the season, I must say. Enjoy the podcast, back after Everton away, which is a very tricky game, uh, but we can do it, we're doing well. Um, interesting to see how we do over the next two games, two tough away games, so anyway, enjoy this podcast, and uh, back soon. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision Podcast, I'm Paul Paz, joined today here by our resident celebrity, Timothy Stillman. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. So, uh, Elliot cannot join us today, uh, would be indiscreet of me to explain why, but suffice it to say that he's a syphilitic, oozing, pussy mess of a scab at the moment, but he'll be fine by Tuesday. Now, speaking of syphilitic, oozing, scabby messes, we had Stoke at our gaff on Saturday, charming fellows that they were, um, singing little songs, little ditties about how Ryan Shawcross is the victim of Aaron Ramsey's broken leg. Don't really understand how it all works. But, uh, Tim, I yeah. I would take it you were at the game as usual? Yes, of course, yeah. So, uh, how was it? 
Yeah, good. It was it was another um, very entertaining game, actually. You know, even quote unquote for the neutral. I think a lot of Arsenal's games have been like that recently because we've settled into a bit of a post Cazorla groove where we've stopped worrying so much about controlling the midfield and controlling possession and things like that because we thought, well, it's much harder to do. So let's let's try and focus our strengths on other areas. So, you know, we're playing with with kind of out and out wingers again, and the games the games are you know fairly open, um, kind of trading punches affairs at the moment, and it's you know kind, it's kind of funny on that. I thought you, I thought you'd bring up that point that you've made a few times. We're trading punches, and the competition always has chances, but you kind of always mm. have the feeling that we've we've got what it takes to score one more or two more and that when it goes into the stretch, maybe three more. Indeed, and that's that's just down to the individual quality we've, we've got um, over teams like West Ham and Bournemouth and Stoke. And we saw it again against Stoke, you know, that, that I don't think Herzl had his best game. He was, you know, he was decent, um, but, you know, he kind of lit up the game really with that. Yeah. With that header, that was an absolutely fantastic finish. It was finish. great, wasn't it? And, but, the t- and just I, like Alexis, I guess we kind of... normally say we'll come to that later, but let's come to it now. Wasn't it absolutely superb? Yeah, yeah, and it's been um, a bit like some of Alexis's kind of interventions recently. Very well timed, just after half time when you know you thought we were really in for a fight, um, and it just really kind of calmed and settled things down. But it was another one of those goals where. The ball's coming over the top, and it's a great ball by Chamberlain. It's a great run, and you look at it and you think, right, take it down, and then, and then you see him head it. And um, it's it's just one of those things that even though I have like from my seat, I have almost the camera eye view just on the other side of the ground, so I've got a really good kind of panorama of it and can see all of this kind of stuff unfold. And I still didn't think, oh, he's going to head that over the goalkeeper. I didn't. <laughs> it didn't look on to me. Um, but obviously it really was. And, uh, and, you know, and when, you just... when you look back on it, there was only one way that, that uh, play yeah, should yeah. go. Indeed. It was like such a, it was such a sweet kind of, you know, if it had got any more on it, it would have gone over any less on it. It would have just gone into the goalkeeper's arms, I guess. It was just, it was a real kind of sweet spot. And uh, again, it was just another, you know, another, pretty vital intervention from from one of our two best players but th- those interventions they they're being spread around quite nicely I think it was, yeah. it was a great ball by Chamberlain yeah um, wasn't it kind of Alexis he doesn't he, again Alexis usually doesn't put his foot on the ball but it had that kind of almost ball on a uh, foot on the ball aspect to it and he yeah. suddenly sees Ozil's run and a classic Alexis-y chip over the top kind of curling it was it was uh rather you know when you go back a few games and you think of um chamberlain booming crosses to the far touch line line instead Mm. of into the box he's he he may not have cracked it quite yet but he's come on a long way in two or three games in terms of the crosses he's putting in and the touch he has indeed indeed and I, i think um you know, one of the kind of listener questions we have uh, for, for today. <laughs> um, that, that segues quite nicely. Is uh, is from John Stones. Um, I I've heard yeah. 
uh, at Stonesy10, who asks, uh, what changes have we seen from Ox? He seems to be nailing down the left-hand side with goals and assists, etc. I think at the moment it's um, it's a lot to do with the fact that the team is set up slightly more favourably for him. He's not expected to be a wide forward at the moment. He's expected to be a wide midfielder, which I think suits him a little bit more. And as we saw for the goal, he is kind of popping up in the middle quite a lot, but um, not quite as far forward. He's he's almost getting... He does kind of fill in that false nine kind of space sometimes when everyone else has kind of left it. But yeah, he's. I, I think it's just because he's playing more like a midfielder than an attacker, which kind of suits him, even if I don't think that he's ever really truly convinced that he'll be a central midfielder. He, he looks to me like a wide midfielder mm. and that's the kind of system we're playing at the moment. And the games are, you know, quite fairly chaotic end-to-end affairs and that just plays right into his hands really. But, he, you know, even earlier in the season, he was still up and down, but he's getting some end products and I'm, I'm sure that it might have been some years ago, there's some sort of Wenger interview. I think he might have been talking about Fabregas at the time um, when Fabregas suddenly started to score a lot of goals after a couple of seasons where he wasn't that prolific. And I think I think he was 23. I think Wenger said something about when players get to 23, mm. that's when you they start to rack up the goals, the assists, where they get proper end product. And actually everything before that is about building in you know, the technical basics, which, you know, I'm not sure we've, we've got that quite from, from mm-hmm. Chamberlain. He's, he's technically, he's very capable, technically, certainly. Um, but perhaps he has just reached this kind of age where, you know, that's that, that pen is beginning to drop a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, the other thing Wenger said about uh, Ox the other day, though we didn't see too much of it in this game, but I think it is a factor given how we play at the moment, is his ability to play it out from deep in the midfield, kind of, yeah. kind of counter-attacking, or at least when there's some space to run at teams, uh, can be pretty devastating. He didn't really need to do it in this game. But I must say, I thought he had, you know, Elliot has been having conniptions at the thought of playing two wingers. Uh, and mm. maybe you've solved that uh, oozing... Uh, Oh no! Hang on. Uh, maybe you've solved his his uh, discomfort in that area by portraying Ox as a a wide midfielder. Though I don't think that'll do it for Elliot, given that we're talking about no. Ox. But but this is like probably three games since Elliot raised that query on the two playing two wingers, if you like. Mm. And you could say it's it's kind of gone pretty well so far. Um, yeah, definitely. Not against think, the toughest opposition, and maybe it's not our optimum format, but I think Ox is playing well enough that at least works to what we required for these games so far. Yeah, indeed. And and actually, with, without Cazorla, you know, we don't really have much of a ball carrier mm. in the central midfield. And, you know, Cazorla is someone who gets us from A to B. And without him, maybe having wingers that kind of do that for you, it, it basically Chamberlain is another way of getting the ball up the pitch a little bit more quickly. Yeah, um, effectively. And I, I agree. I'm not sure we might see it, Everton. I'm, I'm certain we won't see this two out-and-out wingery kind of thing at, at yeah. City. I'm, I'm sure we'll bring someone like Ramsey in. But, that, but also, 
I, d- I don't know whether it's it's just you know a, a coincidence, but Iwobi's last couple of performances as well, I think, have been really, really good, really promising. I think he's really he really looks like he's got that thin and bigger back. And whether they're pushing each other on or whether it, it's yeah. just a bit of a coincidence, I don't know. But that's a really interesting battle on the left side because you know I thought Chamberlain had a, a good game until it got to the point where we were two one up and starting to get a bit leggy and they needed a bit more control over the game. And I, I thought bringing Iwobi on was, was completely the right call in that scenario. And, and and so it proved because he came on and not just with the goal, but he looked very lively again, you know, doing what he does, buzzing around everywhere, constantly creating that passing option, which you, you don't quite get when you've got a more, you know, traditional winger like Chamberlain there. So, yeah, you know, and pretty much his first action was to drop back into the box to defend and play it out from there. And you saw a lot of that yeah. him him joining the dots and helping us work the ball up to the field, up the field to get into their final third. So I think he did a lot to change the momentum at that point. Not that we were in great trouble, but I think uh, the manager may have had it as a pre-planned substitution. I don't know, but the, but the timing was about right. I do think there's a nice yin and yang between the two of them, almost like an Alexis uh, Giroud yeah. seventy-minute substitution thing. Uh, you've you kind of got that with uh, whoever happens to be in form and playing, um, doing seventy minutes, and the other guy coming on and doing twenty. Um, and given another look to to their defense, you can see that. I mean, you could also play Ox Theo, do a yin yang thing on the right wing with uh, Ox coming on. But it, maybe it's just their ages and the fact that they're both kind of struggling to get it, stay in form or get into the form. But there seems to be almost you've almost got a player there between the two of them on that left wing over ninety minutes. Um, mm. Nothing's ever that neat because. You know, Perez, somebody will get hurt or somebody will lose yeah, form yeah. or Perez. But right now, if you were to freeze it, you almost feel there's kind of like let those two fight it out. And I think he had a really good point in terms of it will be looking sharp. I think he's been rested a couple of games. It's it's almost the perfect format for them to come on for 20 minutes, better legs than anybody else, shine, build confidence. And of course, what does Iwobi do? Kind of five or so minutes after he comes on, but between him, he, he actually threads the ball to Alexis, who gets nobbled, and the referee, yeah. for probably the first time in the game, gets something right and let <laughs> and plays advantage, and Iwobi picks it up, jinks through onto his right, and buries it. That, that's kind of a shot he's had three or four times over the last number of games that he's hit too close to the keeper. And maybe yeah. just the freshness uh, at the at that moment in the game, the legs he has, the the feeling that he's kind of running twenty percent faster than anybody else. He kind of has, you know, he has his dander up, and he puts the ball low and hard right where he needs to be. And of course, that gives him his boost to confidence to going forward. But uh, speaking of the referee. Um, yes. Was it just me? I mean, obviously Twitter's no. going to be bitching like hell, but <laughs> and all referees are always terrible and they always screw us over. But compared to the norm of referees screwing us over, was this a little bit? Who was it? Lee Lee Mason. Mason. Was this a little yeah. special? I I'm not sure it was 
special, but it was it was it was still I, it was I up it was, there. It was still very poor. Put it this way: I confused him with Anthony Taylor in the first half. Jesus Christ! Um, and not just because um, they're both bald. Um, yeah. I just, it just struck me like an Anthony Taylor type performance. I mean, it, it's weird, isn't it? Because we we were getting a lot of penalties earlier mm. in the season, and you thought, "Oh, what's happening here?" And now we seem to be conceding quite a few. And I, I think, you know, Wenger said we've conceded three recently and none of them have been convincing. Yeah. And uh, it does feel a bit like that. Like, with, with this Stoke penalty, I, you know, it was one of those where I never... You know when, like, there's a foul or a suggestion of a foul or you, that you look at a tackle coming in in the box and everyone kind of inhales and goes, oh, God, no, is that going to... Like, that didn't happen this time. You... I know, like um, the crowd is 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 not partisan, right? So yeah. it's not a fantastic barometer, but sometimes no. it is. And when it is a good barometer, is how if everyone reacts instantly at the same time, um, that's usually a decent barometer. And when he blew for this penalty, everyone—if you listen back to it—everyone just goes, "What?" Yeah. Um, like, and I I looked at it and I didn't think there was any danger of a penalty. At any point, I didn't think, oh, was he going to give that? Um, and, and I think that sometimes, even when I don't think it's a foul, I think, oh, he might give that. But this one, it just seemed to be out of the blue. And, yeah. you know, I've watched it again, and it looks to me like Joe Allen runs into Jacker. Yeah. Um, and it's it's weird, actually. A, a, a friend of mine who sits behind me, you know, everyone, I, I find myself using this phrase all the time any, when a penalty's not given anywhere else on the pitch and he'd give a foul. And he said this was a strange one in that that challenge. And you look when um, a ball's running out for a goal kick. Um, you know, players always have their arms out, and to some degree they kind of have to. And and he said this is a really weird one because you feel like anywhere else on the pitch, and he wouldn't have given the foul, given how often in a game that happens. That you know someone just puts their arm out to feel where their opponent is and to to kind of keep them away to to shield the ball and it it just seemed a bit i, th- I thought it was a very very harsh penalty decision and, um, and he, he doesn't seem to have made any allowance for the fact that joe allen's a midget and yeah, so yeah exactly running <laughs> into chaka's elbow doesn't yeah. mean chaka's elbow was especially high or venomous or so. No, indeed, it it was it was a very very strange one, and like I say, just listen back to that crowd reaction. Everyone just goes, "What?" Yeah, like no no one was expecting it. And usually, if a penalty is coming, you know, even like the Bournemouth one, for example, which I thought was harsh, and I yeah. thought there was a foul in the build up. You know, you you hear that intake of breath that always oh, gone down in the area. He might give that, and then everyone, you know. You hear kind of differing reactions, and some people yell, but this was really in unison, yeah. and it was exactly my reaction as well. I I didn't even think to myself, "Oh, is he going to give that?" It just didn't occur to me. Yeah, um, it just seemed very, very natural. And um, yeah, what I mean, what do you make of I at halftime cri- criticised Czech a little bit about his kind of approach to penalties, and I know this is going around a lot now, so. He's faced seven penalties as Arsenal's goalkeeper, and I think I'm right in saying he's gone the wrong way for every single one. Um, does you know? Do you think he deserves criticism for that, or do you think that's harsh given 
you know, that penalties goalkeepers really don't have much of a chance. So, I mean, I guess it's harsh, but I'll tell you this. Before the penalty was taken, and I generally don't notice patterns, like I just don't remember the shit that happened in previous games, I remember thinking, Czech's not very good at penalties, is he? Now, based on no actual fact or anything, just my gut feel, my kind of accumulated um, subconscious has come to the conclusion that Czech will go... Uh, I also thought, I can't remember the long, the last time he almost saved a penalty. Yeah, so, yeah. And then, so like, I guess it's fair is, is the bottom line. Uh, he's underwhelming on the penalties. He, he's good at a lot of other things, like being yeah, in the yeah. right place at the right time and being tall and imposing himself and having a presence and keeping things, you know, all that that soft stuff that will never make any highlight reel because it mainly involves... Mm things not happening but yeah um uh, i've very i I just write penalties off i know it's 80 percent success rate but with check at the moment it feels like it's going to be 100 percent yeah and and the thing is as well that's kind of struck me about it is other other arsenal goalkeepers like almunia almunia's penalty saving record was Mm. excellent i think he had like 40 it was getting towards 40 percent because he basically did this thing where he stays up as long as possible and he never used to go the wrong way. He'd always yeah. go the right way because, and it's, it's simple play the percentages because it's like, well, I might as well wait until I know where the ball's going. And if it goes right in the corner, I'm not going to get there anyway. Even if I guess and I go early, I'm still not getting there. Yeah. Um, and Chesney used to do that as well. And that, that was Siemens kind of, um, thing as well that he used to that Bob Wilson coached him to stand up as long as possible and um, yeah Czech seems to go down very very early um, and not very convincingly either I, you know it is harsh to have a go at goalkeeper for not saving penalties but I think after like six or seven and every single one you've just kind of gone like a felled tree yeah very very early it, like you said it just you know, I, I never really have any confidence that that he's going to save it um, yeah. so yeah I think possibly something for him to work on there <laughs> late in his career we're yeah. greedy though I mean he's, on the old 80-20 thing from a goalkeeper standpoint he does almost everything well so it's it's nice to be able to nitpick him on penalties and maybe yeah, the odd indeed. maybe the odd free kick and the odd shot to his uh, right hand side. Indeed, like I'd rather have him than Almunia, even though Almunia yeah. is at least fifty percent more likely to save a penalty overall. I know who yeah. I'd rather have. So yeah, so I think you're quite right there. Um, yeah, should we go for another for another Ooh. listener question? Yes, let's. Okay, so. And this is something I, I'm going to pick this one because this is exact. This one that I thought of exactly myself a couple of days ago. I think it's quite an interesting one, and it's, um, and also because it's only one of two questions we received. <laughs> well, there's that as well. So it's from Ben. Um, I I got Kabada uh, on Twitter. That's an interesting handle. Um, would you trade a league title for uh, for Alexis and Özil leaving in the summer? No. 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 <laughs> no. I'm. I'm just looking at it here. It gets slightly more interesting in the second well, half yeah. of it. 
uh, league title and a Champions League title. Yes, what about that? yes, that I do. Yeah. yeah, the league wouldn't quite do it enough for me, uh, but but to the league title and Champions League, I mean that would be major, historic, phenomenal. What the fuck do you need Alexis and Ozil yeah, for yeah, yeah. if you're already getting the Champions League and the title? But the title just you know we I know we haven't done it for a long time, but what I want out of Arsenal, uh, you know I want the title. But I, uh, this might be heresy. I can live without a title if we play great football. We're doing the right things. Mm. We're heading in the. I mean, this doesn't say that if you keep Alexis and Ozil, you'll never have a league title. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have the hope of that. But if I have yeah. the certainty of a league title and a Champions League, I'm like, fuck it. What, what actually do I need Ozil and Alexis for? Fuck them. We can save ourselves 300k on wages a year and buy some really good players. Or something. What, what are yeah, your thoughts yeah. on it? I, I, I suspect I haven't really answered his question, and I've completely cheated. But that's that's how I react. I'm, that's all I can see when he asks me that question. I'm I'm with you on that. I um, and I think because you know I've been fairly fortunate, and I've seen Arsenal win the league. Um, I you know I because listen, if we won the league and then had to sell Özil and Alexis, you know, it wouldn't quite be a Leicester. Yeah. In terms of the title defence for the next year, but I mean, we'd have to rebuild the whole team, and you know, it would take us years to do it again. I think I've got just about enough faith that Arsenal have a chance of doing it anyway. Um, I'm not convinced they will, but if we can sign them up to new contracts and keep them going for another couple of years and keep this squad together, um, I think there's a reasonable chance we can do it anyway. Whereas if we were to lo- if we were to do it, then lose us and Alexis, we wouldn't be able to do it again for at least another decade. Yeah. Um, and you know, then you're even looking at possibly because it's so tight up there now, possibly dropping out the top four the next season, and it it could start to get a bit spirally. Yeah. Um, whereas I'm, you know, I'm I'm happy. I'm I'm satisfied that this squad, if it stays together, will challenge for the league every year. Not sure if we'll win it. Yeah. Maybe we won't even win it once, but I'm I'm confident enough that that's a title challenging squad that we have, and I'd rather keep it together and take my chances. But yes, if it comes down to the Champions League, then yeah, and as you say, it it then becomes much easier to replace them like for like anyway. So true. And I I suppose like on that because we do have other questions, believe it or not, and um, <laughs> just about. <laughs> And, and and one of them actually is very much tied into this. So it's from uh, Ellis Mel. I might well have I've probably done horrible disjustice to your surname please, there, so I do apologise. Um, but it just says, are we relying too heavily on Alexis and Ozil? Yes. <laughs> but but it's, uh, I guess how to make this a hard question. I mean, there are two clearly world-class players. Um, so yes, we are. I, I know we could... Also, very quickly throw in, but isn't every team relying on uh, on two players? Yeah. But maybe that's the interesting question. Is that true? Is Chelsea relying on two players? Is City relying on two players? Uh, is I think Liverpool... you could make an argument Chelsea are. Yeah. I think Chelsea, you know, Costa and Hazard, uh, yeah. you know, they're, they're running that show at yeah. the moment. Yeah, I think that's fair. 
City, I think, is a little bit broader than yeah. that and a bit more systemized. I mean, Chelsea has a pretty good structure and system, but it, it seems like City, you might have to uh, poison the food of three or four of them. It, not yeah. that they're not that I think they're going to win the title this year, but in terms of derailing them, I don't think it's necessarily who's playing that is their problem. It's whether they, as a team, can get their heads around the system because it's a system. It's a more systemized approach, yeah. flexible system, but it requires a lot of the players, as opposed to, yeah, you know, he, he showed willingness to drop Aguero at one point. That was kind of ballsy. Mm. Um. He's living. Uh, I don't think not having Aguero was their problem at the weekend. I, I think it's interesting, though. A quick point you mentioned about not playing the two wingers against City, um, which my first reaction is, yeah. On the other hand, that's at the moment if he keeps playing the way he's yeah. playing, that's where the space is. Because yeah, sure. when they get, so anyway, that'll be an interesting. Uh, it's not that I'm certain I want to play wingers against them, but that's kind of where the space is. And then if you look at Liverpool, I don't think you could say it's down to any particular two players. Again, I don't think they quite have enough to win the title this year. So, mm. good question. I certainly think it's true of us. Um, uh, well, so let me put one other question to you. We would have said maybe Cazorla, but if there was mm. a third player on your do-not-disturb list at mm. Arsenal, who's the third player that... Either A, you wouldn't want nobbled, or B, we couldn't live without and we'd be screwed. Probably um, Lauren Koscielny. As, yeah. as much as, you know, Mustafi allays that a little bit. Um, and, you know, I think we'll come on to this in a sec. I, I, th- I thought Gabriel um, had another thoroughly decent game yeah. and, and is, um, you know, a bit like, it reminds me a little bit of. You know, when Nacho had his little spell ah, centre-half. Ah, I was going to ask you that and sound really <laughs> clever. So, But they've done it going in the opposite direction. So here's, Indeed. Uh, hang on a second, Tim. Tim, do you think we might see from Gabriel something of the Monreal effect where playing in a different position actually brought him to a, a, a new level and a new level of understanding of his role within the club? Quite possibly. Quite possibly, yeah. And... You know, because I, I think, you know, for the game on Saturday, I was I was fairly worried at first when Mustafi came off. Um, and I, but I was incredibly thankful that basically we had Bellerin on the bench because not only did it not really disrupt us in terms of our structure and our flow, it added something because it's Bellerin. Um, and thankfully, he looked pretty sharp um, and very bright and, you know, he... He made our first goal, and that's not a coincidence that Theo Walcott all of a sudden gets back on the score sheet within minutes of Hector Bellerin coming back into the fray. But it was Theo's think... best game in a while, wasn't he? Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and that's not a coincidence at all. And yet, I think exactly. for Gabriel, whether it's just a case that he had a few games under his belt, you know, albeit at right back, he's played like three games now, and so when he was asked to move into the middle. You know, he was um, warm, for want of a better word. You know, he wasn't coming in. He wasn't coming on from the bench. Like, I think if, say, the Bellerin injury never happens and Gabriel's been sitting on the bench for the last three weeks and then Mustafi's hamstring goes and Gabriel comes on, um, 
whether you get the same performance. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, hey, but hey, a little bit of pop psychology. You know that way that when you're asked to do something more difficult to stress yourself, that when you come back to doing your normal job, it seems not normal, it seems easy. I wonder yeah. if there might be a bit of, you know, Gabrielle's been working overtime on his positionings and his awareness the last three weeks playing out of position. They put him back in, into centre back and he's thinking, wow, this is this seems 50% e- easier. I'm yeah. like twice as fast mentally to work out what's going on it now could have screwed him up but i just wonder if he might get a certain sense of relaxing and seeing the game quicker because he's kind of had to do it on hyper speed playing out his position yeah absolutely i, I think there's a lot to that actually and uh, to neatly segue again actually there's there's two listeners questions i'm going to put together Liar. because because i i think they they're in the same area, uh, literally. So the first one from uh, Peter Bergval, um, Peggy AFC, um, who should replace Mustafi? Uh, because obviously he's injured for at least the next three weeks. Gabrielle or Holding, um, both of whom I think have put in impressive performances at centre-half this week. And uh, John Stones again um, asks, uh, is... Per Mertesacker in the same boat as Olivier Giroud in that playing him now alters the dynamic too much, i.e. is it curtains really for Per? So let's take the first one against Everton on Tuesday. Gabriel or holding at centre-half. Personally, I'd say Gabriel, but what do you think? So, uh, yeah, no, I go with Gabriel. Uh, I think I think uh, holding's dynamite. Um but he's still pretty young. He's still finding his feet. Um, I think he is, at the moment, more error-prone, though that might be a little harsh. It's probably being uh, kind of thrown in and then thrown out again and different partners each time. But I think at the end of his his last outing, um, he was beginning to make a few... Um, maybe rash choices in defense. So, um, and I think there's something to be said for seniority when all thing, when you feel things are pretty even anyway, I definitely go with Gabriel. He's played in, he's just played the last game at center back. I don't know how Arson can look him in the eye and drop him at this moment without mm-hmm. saying he's down the order. Um, a little bit of seniority, and, you know, yes, he, he has a bit of the wild man about him, but if he can tame that, and he has done that over the last few weeks, he's been highly responsible. Mm. Um, you know, we have ourselves a real find. So I think there's a lot to be gained from a Kashelny gabriel partnership. And I like the look of, you know, I've enjoyed him at, at right back. So I think he's earned it in the same way when, I mean, you know, we did something similar with uh, Nacho when we moved him back from centre-back. He got the wing-back position. Now, I can't remember our injury situations and Gibbs and stuff, but we didn't... Gibbs had been obviously been playing left-back, but we didn't drop Nacho but mm. <laughs> to punish him for playing centre-back kind of thing, so... No, indeed. I, I, I agree with all of that, and I'd probably add that um, Gabriel is probably more like Mustafi than yeah. Holding is. It it kind of 
alters the di- sorry yeah. it doesn't alter the dynamic quite as much. I think with Mustafi, what we'd miss as much as anything is his passing. Yeah. Um, but, Fortun- you know, the way fortunately, he... we just got Bellerin back. So, I mean, it's yeah. ideal to have both. But given the circumstances, it's kind of a little bit of a trade-off. But I agree. The, the one thing holding might give you is a bit more of that Mustafi-type distribution, but not to the same level. So I think we, yeah. we're going to end up playing it more through the right-back anyway, whether it's holding yeah. or Gabriel. Yeah, and I think Koscielny can do that as well um, in terms of passing through. He's quite a progressive passer of the ball. Um, but yeah. I, I think that's what we'll miss about Mustafi compared to bringing Gabrielle in more than the actual defensive side of it, um, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I suppose to the second question then about yeah, so whether... Can I ask it's... you? Can I re-ask you to the second question? Because I think it's a good question. You and I both like Mertesacker. We mm. both recognise he's not the fastest person on the block. Um, but I've kind of got used to us not playing with him. Mm-hmm. And and I, I feel bad about it because I remember him being a very clever player and stuff. But I kind of like the fact that we have two really fast centre-backs, especially if it's going to be Gabriel uh, Koscielny, as we did with Mustafi Koscielny. It just gives us mobility. Now, Per does give us some additional distribution from the back, but but has absence made the heart grow less fond for you as it may have done yeah. for me? Yeah, no, it definitely has. I think, um, and again, like you, I, I, I really like Per, and I, I think he's, I don't think he's been valued highly enough, but I feel like the transition's already happened. Um, it's kind of been forced on us. And again, you can ask the question, would Mustafi have even been bought in the first place had Mertesacker, you know, not gotten injured? Um, I'm not convinced he would have. But, I mean, you buy a centre-half for more than 30... If Arsene Wenger spends more than 30 million on a centre-half, it's because he's going to play him yeah. all the time. Um, and, you know, Koscielny is pretty much undroppable. Um, so even from that standpoint, it it looks slightly bleaker for prepare. But um, to John's question, which is very much around, you know, has the team moved on from his style? Yes, I think it has, and yes, I think it is it does change things too much to put him back in there. I think we're quite a long way down this road now, where we're a much more dynamic team and we're much better at pressing the ball and things like that. I do think it kind of spells the end for him, um, to be quite honest. I just can't see, you know, yeah, the 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 comparison with Giroud is an apposite one because I just don't see how we can go back from here as much as I like Pear. Um, and in terms of numbers as well, I mean, if you count Callum Chambers, we've got six centre-halves. Um, and we know that Nacho Monreal can do a decent job in there as well. So... I mean, we're not exactly suffering for numbers, so um, yeah. I I do have the feeling that that we've moved on, and I'm not sure that Arsenal wanted the transition to happen quite yet yeah. or this quickly, but it's kind of been forced on him, and I think it's kind of happened now. Mm. Um, and I would be surprised if he was offered a new contract, and I would be surprised if he played for us too many times again which is which is kind of sad because um, I thought I, I think he 
was and has been a fantastic signing. Um, a bit like Arteta just kind of came at the time when we need really needed somebody like that. We needed a few leaders, and we bought we bought a couple in those two. I think they've both done fairly similar jobs um, in terms of stabilising. And and you know I think there have been times when Pear's been incredibly valuable to our defence and the way we play, but. I think that time's gone, um, to be honest. And for him as well, I think he's, what, 31 or something like that? Yeah. Um, 31, 32. He hasn't got any pace to lose, so I think he could go and get another thoroughly decent club, you know, possibly back in the Bundesliga. Um, But, yeah, I I do kind of think it's curtains for pair, really. Yeah. Though I didn't didn't I read somewhere I don't know that it's true but I remember reading something from one of these sports fitness football guys saying that actually the people who are really screwed for pace when they get older are the slow ones they actually do get a lot slower so I I don't know about that theory but anyway uh, no expert in that area so I see a question here from Johnny I don't really exist. He wants to know if Poznan has been proved right since the uh, the Basel game that it was good to play that selection because like we won and we qualified for the Champions League and Alexis and Ozil didn't seem tired at all against Stoke, which mm-hmm. was one of the things Elliot said. God, this guy got way more than a, a 150. 40 characters but uh, anyway it's a question over two tweets and he says uh, also Elliot said that they would look tired this weekend and they don't and Paz had said that actually players who get rested can get injured as much as players who play and it was Mustafia who didn't play at the during the week who got injured and although Paz could still be proved wrong if one of the got injured over the next few games really we should make a decision now and conclude that Paz was probably right do you agree Tim I, <laughs> that, that's a really good question I thought um, so. I, I think to this point yes it, it looks like a, a perfectly good decision <laughs> good I, enough. I still Let's close I, the debate <laughs> I still don't think we can really say until after the Everton and Man City games but yeah, I agree. Although Wenger said, you know, he felt we started a little bit slowly because of that. But um, given the choice between starting slowly and finishing slowly, um, it's better to start slowly, I guess. And and actually, the thing that really surprised me about this game, so I, I went for a 1-0 win for Arsenal and I thought the goal might be late. I thought this was going to be a real scrap, a real fight. And as soon as we went, when we went 1-0 down, I thought, oh God, I'm not, you know, I thought, I think we'll equalise, but I'm not convinced we're going to win this. I can see us getting a goal, but I think this is going to be a real scrap now. Um, and equalising before half-time was just absolutely crucial um, for that. But, you know, for us to run out fairly comfortable and deserve 3-1 winners um, against a team like Stoke, who are on good form as well, um, not to be sniffed at. I, I thought that was, you know, I thought we were banging in trouble at one nil down, and we we cope with it very very well. I and one of the things, uh, and and to your point, we got a goal before half time, 
and we had earned it and we got a goal yeah. straight after half time. It was almost like what a what a championship winning team does when they go a goal down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things this year really so I think that's the sixth time um I read that we've come from behind to win a game this season, which is which is remarkable really. Did you I, see I that stat how City haven't come back was it City haven't come back from being down at half time in like ninety seven years, like something horrendous, like you know, That's a decade longer yeah. Uh, probably got it completely wrong. I'll look it up again. But it was it's astounding how long it's been since they've come back from being down at halftime. Yeah, yeah, and that's and I think the thing is as well, I, I actually thought Stoke were fairly worth their lead. Um they'd created a cut you know, Joe yeah. Allen had a guilt edge chance and actually the way Stoke play is really interesting at the moment. So they played on Altovich as that kind of force nine. And um, Joe Allen running off of him, and and Joe Allen's kind of he he used to play a little bit deeper in midfield, but he's really playing off the striker this year. And uh, actually, his running is incredibly intelligent because he goes very very late um, in the day, and it's very difficult to pick him up, especially for a team like us that you know, for better or worse, can be a bit short-handed going back towards our own goal. But I thought Stoke were pretty worth their lead at that point, and I was I was quite worried. I thought, oh, we've lost a player to injury already, and this has happened. But one of the things I don't think we've really done this season, which we've done a lot in the past, is when we go one nil down. You know, we always used to have that five to ten minutes afterwards where it looked like our world had ended. Yeah, um, and I, I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think that's really happened as much this year, and whether that's just because we keep coming from behind. And Wenger spoke about that afterwards. He was very kind of, you know, when someone asked him, the interviewer asked him about it and he said, you know, what I want is for the next time we go 1-0 down for that to, you know, for the team to remember that, for that to give them the confidence that um, that they can come back. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought we were, we were in big trouble um, at 1-0 and, and I, I'd have been interested to see how the game would have panned out if we'd have gone in 1-0 down at half-time, whether we'd yeah. have still won that consummately, probably not. But, I mean, the fact is that we didn't have to worry about it because we just, we, if anything, that goal seemed to wake us up yeah, um, a little bit and we kind of clicked back into gear again. And, and yeah, We have we, gears, we though. It, it, it seemed yeah. like in previous times we didn't really have gears we could go up through. We might have a spell and then we wouldn't have a spell, but it didn't seem like we were the ones always controlling it or we'd need a goal in the last uh, can you remember those games even this the start of this season where you know we we got a goal back and you'd get a se- maybe we'd need two goals and we're still chasing the game you know like the liverpool game mm. where we got a couple of goals and then you have 30 minutes left and suddenly we don't have it you know we we not only can we not go up through the gears we kind of lose a bit and to me, something significant's changed in the last since we got Alexis and Ozil, but also now that we've re-engineered a midfield that works, um, and we haven't really talked about it. But but the Chaka a couple of weeks ago we talked about how we probably needed not only just one working partnership, we probably needed two in the absence of Kazorla because we've seen. Mm. 
we thought we might need different looks against different teams. We thought Chaka Ramsey might be the the kind of the straw we we grasp onto, and yeah. I I still have lots of hope for that. And we haven't seen the best Ramsey yet. He's only back a game or two, but Chaka Coquelin for a second game, uh, and let's also put some context in that we said yeah but against a team that parks the bus mm. at our place uh, you know Coquelin won't have anything to do and um, although this was a fairly open game there was also plenty of periods of this where we were against an open bus or sorry a parked yeah. bus and we moved them around non-stop there was almost there wasn't a single moment uh, uh, where I said to myself, oh, God, we're passing around in a circle. Um, yeah, yeah. That was my reflection. The constant movement, the movement, the passing, and I'm not putting this down to Coquelin's, uh at all or specifically. I'm just saying that despite, if you want to put it this way, and I think yeah. he did very well, and I think he was a contributive factor. But even just saying, despite Coquelin, we were able to move those guys around nonstop and go through the gears. I mean, they went to goal up, they became more conservative. Mm. And and actually, that's when we... Be, normally, we would be frustrated. We'd kind of... It'd be approaching halftime. We'd start to get desperate. We started to look better and better the more possession we had, the more we put them on the rack. We could actually put them on the rack and crank the handle, which is not something we've had for a long time, I didn't think. So loads of credit to Chaka. But Chaka Coquelin seems, you know, those are different kinds of games he's played well in now. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And actually, in, in the first half, I, you know, I thought that Coquelin was a bit of a passenger. And I thought, well, and, and again, I I agree with you in that I didn't think, oh, God, our build-up play is awful and, you know, we can't pass. I didn't think that. That that didn't seem to be a problem to me, for me, but... I. I thought, oh, he, he's not that involved. Yeah. Um, but then in the second half, I mean, he was absolutely everywhere yeah. in that second half. And yeah, you're right. It's a completely different type of challenge. You know, we weren't, this wasn't counter-attacking. We, you know, the onus was on us. And actually, I, I thought he moved the ball really well as well. Um, yep. You know, he's he's never, he's probably never going to be, you know, he's never going to have those that really like laser precise cutting passing, but he's definitely worked on it. He's definitely improved it and I improved on it. And that seems to me to be a conscious thing. And I think that the thing is for Coquelin, what's really impressed me about him since he came in is every time you think it's come to an end, you know, so he came in what nearly two years ago now, about two years ago, actually, and you think, oh, right, he's riding the crest of a wave. Yeah. We haven't had a midfielder like this for a while. And you know what it's like when you get a new player in the team. You love everything about them for about three months, and then you start to notice the flaws a bit more, and then you go, oh, yeah, but he can't pass the ball. And he was, you know, his passing was in, like, the 70s yeah. in terms of percentages at that point, and you think, yeah, okay, maybe it's... But then he picks it back up again, and then, you know, we buy Granite Jacker, and but every time you think that his use has expired, he finds a new way to be effective. So then he started playing a bit further forward, and you know, getting that press going right up the pitch. And he, it, it's massively to his credit. He, he basically what he's done is he's 
you know, when he first came into the team and Wenger said something like, you know, he's recognised what he's good at and what he can bring to the team finally. Yeah. And actually what he's done continually since he's kind of continued with that in that he's clearly analysed his game and said, well, where am I a bit short? Right. You know, my passing, my distribution, because that is immeasurably better than it was, um, even if he's, you know, still not like Fabregas in there. But we don't need him to be. We just need him to be able to pass the ball competently. Um, and, you know, if he can forward and through the lines, and I think he's doing that a lot more. He's always had that, you know, the eye for the diagonal pass, that kind of flat yeah. um, diagonal pass out to the fullbacks. But it, it's immensely to his credit because every time you, Every time you try and pigeonhole him and think, well, he's he's only really suitable in this circumstance, he he kind of finds a way out. He, he fights his way out of it, you know. And 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 I I think you're quite right to say that this was another kind of almost watershed game in that it was a home game against a park bus and we went one nil down and he still found a way to be effective. And whether that's you know, because we're kind of playing a bit more of a four-man midfield at the moment. And as we said earlier, we're going through the wingers a lot more. And actually, maybe there's just less onus on the central midfielders to have the ball and hold it and circulate it. Like, maybe the ball is just going forward a bit more quickly from the flanks and therefore it removes the need, really, to have another, you know, not ponderous, but another like artiste in the middle there, um, and and so maybe that's slightly favourable to him. But you know, every time you every time you want to write him off, he come you know he, he comes up with something at the moment, and that that's incredibly promising. And I think that's why the man that's one of the many reasons the manager likes him so much. Yeah, um, I, I mean you got to say his best partnerships have been with Cazorla. Uh, a very inventive, clever passer and dribbler from midfield. And now he's, I mean, it's early days, but he's had a few, two or three outings now where he's been paired up with Chaka, who's a superb passer from deep. Uh, different, but, uh, you know, more more similar to Cazorla than anybody else that uh, Cochrane has been pass, uh, pa- paired with. Mm. And they may be finding a, a balance. And when you think of the range of things, you know, Kakala at, at one time and with one player is required to be the deepest, most defensive player. And with another player in a new time is required to be the guy who pushes forward, presses and makes shit happen upfield. I mean, it's not that he's playing the same role with two partners, even though, no. but he, in a sense, he is. But he's playing it in a completely different part of the field, uh, with a, a, trying to create a similar balance and dynamic. So it's to your point, there's quite a bit of range going on there. But yeah, and I um I, I wrote a piece a couple of years ago, just when he first kind of came into the team about defensive midfielders in general. And, uh, you know, Arsene doesn't have a preferred type of defensive midfielder. He works with what he finds. And usually the defensive midfielder is pretty much the last piece of the puzzle. And the reason that happens is because, and the reason Wenger's willing to work with really any type of defensive midfield player is a good one, looks at, because the, the whole point of the job is to be a bit of a firefighter and a bit of a shield for your team. So what the good ones do is they look around at who else is in the team 
and you know acts almost like a butler you know it's like right how can i be useful in this setup what what qualities do i need to show in this particular setup to be effective for my team what's left and, that um, we still need exactly exactly and that's what he really seems to have plugged into right i'm playing with this guy today that means i need to do this or i'm playing in this team today so i need to do this and um and and you know that's that he he really seems to have got it mentally and i think that you know arson he tends to have a lot of time for his kind of defensive midfield players um he quite often employs them when they retire um I think for those reasons. So Gilles Grimondi is yeah. his scout in France. Steve Morrow is the head of scouting. Um, he offered Arteta um, a role there. He offered Gilberto Silva a role, um, a coaching role, um, who, who declined it. But he obviously sees something in that type of player, that kind of um, altruistic player to think you know that's that's coaching material and uh, yeah so you you've heard it here first yep. Francis Coquelin will be the next Arsenal manager he'll be hired at a <laughs> bouncer at the Arsenal nightclub but um, I, I, I mean the biggest credit probably has to go to Chaka because at the end yeah. of the day I mean he's really making our attack tick in a way yeah. it didn't before that in a way it hasn't since Cazorla was there. I mean, we made, we scraped through games, we got draws, we got wins, but we, you know, Elliot would be asking me, where's the XG? Where, you know, where's the excitement? Entertain me, you know. We're, we're scoring all our chances, our conversion rate's 100%, so, you know, Elliot's getting nervous. And I'm like, well, hang on, once we get our midfield taken... I can see all the other elements in place or one, you know, if you'd sent us out there with a decent attack, all the elements were in place. So, you know, Chaka has been the piece that made the midfield work with a really good defense, really good attack when, when we get those players out there. And when we have all three, anytime, any game, we've had all those pieces in place. We've lit it up in my opinion. Yeah, and when you said earlier, you know, who is that other, that third player, as it were, behind Ozil and Lexus, I do think it's Koscielny, but after that, it's probably Granite Jacket. I mean, he, for me, he just has to always start at the moment. And it's quite interesting, you know, and I was thinking this about uh, Mkhitaryan today, you Mm -hmm. know, watching the Spurs United game, and he's come in and, you know, after not being given many chances, he's come in and just started playing really well. And it makes you think, well, why wasn't he starting earlier? But then, then there maybe was a good reason. And maybe if he was starting games in August and September, he wouldn't be playing like this. So, yeah. And it's kind of similar with Jacker, isn't it? It's a bit yeah. like, well, why weren't we playing him earlier? But maybe there's just some science there that we don't appreciate. And maybe, you know, we wouldn't have got this um, in kind of August, September. Um, and I, I think it's natural as well that having... You know, he had to put a new centre back in there. He put a new centre forward in there, and I suppose it stands to reason that he didn't want to completely change the spine, and he wanted to keep things a bit, a bit more familiar in there. But yeah, and and it was another, you know, even with the, the kind of penalty, and I, and I actually I thought one of the things that impressed me about Jacker as well was. Um, the referee seemed to really have it in for him. Yeah. So he was penalised constantly. You know, there was that 
that penalty, which I thought was a bit of a nonsense. And he, you know, he didn't, he didn't lose his discipline, which I was yeah. looking at it and I was thinking he could easily get very wound up with the referee here. And, you know, he was, he, he was making his feelings known, but he kept his game completely under control despite, you know, some, a, a bit of provocation is the wrong word, but despite the fact the referee clearly took a bit of a dislike to him, but he yeah. didn't let that get to him. Um, and I think that's very promising because obviously his his discipline has been one of the things that's possibly held him back uh, prior to this spell. Yeah. Joe Allen, Welsh, Welsh Jesus, my ass. He didn't see that elbow coming, did he? <laughs> hey, a quick question for you on the referee. The yeah. drop ball where uh, uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain yeah. shoots up. So I... I I didn't. I wasn't really on the Twitter, so I didn't really get to the bottom of it. What did you make of that? Uh, in hindsight, um, well, I th- I thought it was um, a simple case of the referee not understanding the rule. <laughs> I I thought, to be honest, it was maybe a little bit on the ungentlemanly side for us okay. to play on because I, you know, I th- if I remember correctly, it was a Stoke player that was injured and all. Or they had the ball basically, and the game was stopped. And I can't remember who for. And you know, most of the time in that scenario, you just kick it back to their goalkeeper or whatever. And and you know, we took them by surprise because they didn't properly contest the ball, and and Chamberlain ran off and ran into space. And you know, maybe you could say that's that's a bit ungentlemanly or whatever. But once the ball's dropped, it is no longer in the referee's gift to say that because it's not covered by the rules it's a convention not a rule so the referee should not have got involved at that point if we go on and do something and stoke are angry about it with us then you know fair game let's have the argument but it's yeah. not for It'd the referee be terrible to get if they were upset with us <laughs> indeed but then like a few minutes later stoke and i completely understand why they did it because we've just done it to them did something very similar there was another you know, the ball was dropped and I think, you know, the onus was on us to play it back to them and Charlie Adam just carried on playing, which, which I completely understand. But the referee didn't intervene then. He didn't stop it then. And, and it's just like, do you, do you understand what you're doing here? Um, the referee and, and then, completely fucked up the, the third, if you want to call it the third quarter, the start of the second half. He just called foul, bad calls, foul after foul after foul. He was fucking destroying an otherwise great game. The passages of play that came between him chopping up the fucking game. He was driving me demented. Yeah, and there was even there was that free kick towards the end as well, where you know the Stoke player completely underhit it, mm. um, and Iwobi intercepted it, and then he called it back for a rolling ball, and you just yeah. like. It, it didn't look like a rolling ball at all, but it just looked like he thought, "Oh, you messed that one up. Have another go." So, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I thought he was quite poor. I think he usually is, but yeah, um, I don't like to waste too much time on referees because what's the fucking no. point? But this was this was comically bad, and and I wasn't laughing. But anyway, we survived him. We survived them. Any other? Uh, Last-minute points on on that uh, performance, that game. Um, no, not really. I, you know, I I think possibly the only thing we didn't cover off really was the Charlie Adam stamp on Alexis, but oh, I'm not yeah, sure. There's yeah. 
an awful lot to say about that, really. I think everyone saw yeah. it. So, no is the short answer to that. <laughs> so, if I'd offered you August 15th or so, or before kickoff on the first day, that we'd be uh, battling for the lead. In fact, I guess on Saturday we're top of the league. Now we're, now we're three points behind. Uh, we'd have a Lexus... Oh, sorry. We'd have a world-class striker lighting mm-hmm. up the league, doing wonderful, incredible things, ooing and eyeing the crowd, but I can't tell you who his name is right now, that uh, we'd be uh, humming in our play and uh, we'd be in this current situation in the table with our current form and current roster uh, in terms of injuries, good or bad. Not, I would say not too bad at the moment, but some. Mm. Um, I'm guessing you take where we're at at the moment. I mean, a lot changes yeah. quickly in football, but if you take a snapshot of today, yeah. uh, we're doing okay, Absolutely. aren't we? Absolutely, and I think one of the things now, I mean, you look at Chelsea's next four fixtures or so, and they're going to rack up a lot of points. But um, I think one positive we can take at the moment is for the next two months, their little advantage where they don't play um, in Europe, that kind of vanishes Mm. for the next two months. We're all in the same boat now. Um, We're all playing every three days. Yeah. Um, so Chelsea don't get this seven days, and you know they've been playing a, a very very settled lineup, and you yeah. know over the festive period they're probably not going to be able to do that. They're gonna and don't get me wrong, they've got a good enough squad not to worry about it too much. But a lot of their recent success is founded on the fact that they play once a week, they play the same eleven pretty much every week, and they're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so you know that that until February rocks around where they're in the same boat as us so that vanishes yeah so yeah but yeah absolutely um i'd have taken that all you know all i ever really want and ask for is that we're in the race and yeah. uh, i think we very much are and playing good football and and uh yeah. looking like it has legs i mean it's too early to look to the other guys too much at this point it's really about how we play and how we're playing and it seems like if we can play keep our core fit and healthy we should be this doesn't feel like other years uh, you know even the yeah. years where we said oh we're we're in it at christmas or new years or we're at the top of the table i didn't feel about the the strength of the team their ability to to go through the gears, to come from one behind to win 3-1. I mean, we scored five, we scored four, we scored three. But more important to me was the sense that we we could always go up through the gears and get that next goal and that next goal. There's just a confidence. There's an, you know, there's an ambition where you just feel Alexis's leadership. Um, mm. We haven't tested this too much, but... You know, when it comes to the 80th or 90th minute of a game, you a team needs to be able to look to somebody that they believe can win it for them. The, the, the yeah. player won't do it on their own, but where you say, you know, we've got Alexis, we can win this, or Giroud's yeah. come off the bench and we can win this. And I think that's a powerful combination um, where you can say that you couldn't say in other years, 
we can win this in the last, we will win this in the last 10 or 15 minutes because we've got Alexis or we've got Alexis and Giro. And I think, I, I think that's going to come into play in a number of games this year. There'll be a belief that we're going to do this because of who we've got, who we are. That's yeah, what I'm hoping. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. So we got uh, Everton on Tuesday. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on that one? Um, I think that'll be very difficult. Again, it always is there. I think the fact that they lost on Saturday probably doesn't do us any favours. Yeah. Um, per se, but really, we we should, you know, the confidence levels seem seem pretty good. We should, um, you know, it's as good a chance as ever at winning yeah. of, of winning Everton. Uh, basically, it's never going to be anything other than been difficult really but you look at it at the moment and you think that you know we should be winning yeah um really so um but we're gonna have to earn it put it that way yeah the, i mean what gives me a level of confidence is at the moment over the last number of games we just seem to be able to move defenses around um, no matter how well organized they are. So this would be a really good test. I'll, I'll, if we come out Absolutely. of this one, haven't moved their center backs around, haven't got in behind them, I'll start to think we can, we can really turn it on at will. So, and um, a quick comment that I think you know, may well apply to Everton is, again, the bench. And I mean, the manager over the years has got a lot of grief for his substitutions, but his substitutions in in this game just passed against Stoke were all spot on, even no matter how sulking and angry the uh, Alex and Alexis were as they came off the pitch. It's really quite comical. But, uh, I mean, the substitutions, he got those right. It turn, yeah. turned the game... The game was already turning in our direction, but it turned it, uh, you know, turned up the dial in terms of our performance, our energy levels. We went up an- another level. So, um, again, at, at Everton, there's always the bench, and, and maybe at the end of this year, the story of our squad will be the bench. Um, for, yeah. all, for all the frustration of the players on the bench, the Giroux of this world, um, they may end up being just as critical as the players on the pitch. So uh, it'll be interesting yeah. to see how big a role it plays at Everton. I, I suspect it might be significant. Indeed, indeed. Excellent. Well, thanks for that, Tim. Let's wrap it up there. Let everybody go home. Um, a fine job, as always. Appreciate it. It'll, uh, we'll have Elliot back during the week once he's solved his... his oh, we won't go there again. So uh, that's it, really. Thanks, Tim. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, everybody. Give us a review on the the iTunes and the this, the that, and the other, and you can say horrible things, but give us five stars, blah, 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 blah. And thanks, everybody. Bye. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. 
Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.